Well, good evening to you, collective. It is good to be back with you guys. I know last week was quite the kickoff, man. I, I'll tell you this. You, sometimes you can be in a room, and it's just a room. But sometimes you can be in a room, and you can feel the Spirit moving. You can feel the Spirit stirring something up. And uh, that's what I felt last week. That's what I feel so far tonight, and which means... God's going to be doing something big through the collective this year. And it starts with you, right? So he's going to do something big through you. And I believe that God's going to do something big through this ministry. And, I mean, I thank you for being part of the journey with us because uh, I see God having some great days ahead of us. And last week, right, we started this sermon series called This Changes Everything. And it talked about a this changes everything moment. And if you were listening here last week, you probably were thinking to yourself, man, what's a this changes everything moment in my life? And I was looking back and I was thinking the reaching the furthest back in my memory bank. Like what's the most pivotal moment that I can remember? And it was when I got diabetes. All right. So I joke about this a lot because uh, you got to because it's life or death. Right. Uh but when I got diabetes, like, everything changed in my life. Like, everything. I was in fifth grade, and I lost 30 pounds. So, imagine a fifth grader with the ability to lose 30 pounds, all right? There was a lot there to lose. But it changed the way that I looked. It changed the way that I ate. It changed what I drank. Uh, and if you know me, I love Diet Coke, and I love Diet Dill. Right, the dew juice is half my energy throughout the day. But I hated diet soda until I was a diabetic. And I remember choking down my first diet soda and like this is disgusting. Later to know, like, hey, this is gonna be something that I love dearly. All right. Uh, behind my family, Jesus. There it is. Uh, but it also goes a little bit deeper because it changed my family dynamic. And what I mean by that is it changed the relationship I had with my brother. All right, how many of y'all got an older brother? How many of y'all just got smacked in the head all the time? Yes, you got locked in the closet. When those friends were over, you were just out. Uh, that's what it was like, right? I was the whipping boy. But when I, something changed when I got diabetes, and I, don't th I think it was where we were at in life, but my brother was my brother. And then my mom, like, she started cooking all kind of stuff that tasted terrible because she thought she was trying to help, but we soon got that all changed. But it also changed my father in that it opened the door to anxiety that he struggled with that was kind of dormant, but it, it opened the door to that, which I didn't know at the time, but later in life when you start going through things, you start to learn stuff about your parents. That, and that's what happened there. And so it was, it was a moment that changed everything, and it continues to change everything about my life. And some of you guys have kids. Some of you all in the order range, you got kids. And you know that having a kid changes everything. The way that you look at life, the way that you love people, the way that you see children. They're not so, they don't, children don't become so annoying once you have your own. You start to be like, ah, yeah, they're like mine. Uh, and it changes what, where you sleep, the things that you do. And I remember having that child. Things changed. But then I remember having a second child. And things continue to change. And my wife and I, we were expecting our second child. 
and we were heading to the hospital, uh, not the hospital, the doctor's appointment, and my wife had got a new OB. So we hadn't met her yet. This was like our introduction, going to make sure the heartbeat is healthy, all this stuff early in pregnancy. And I remember getting there, kind of introducing everybody and recognizing people just from here at the church. And we got into the ultrasound room, and they put the machine on my wife's stomach, and immediately something looked different. And I was like, huh. I looked at my wife. We looked back at the screen, and there's two, which to us was a big surprise because we weren't ready to go from one to three. We were thought we were just going one to two. But immediately, my wife just tears, tears that she's like, oh, no, what just happened to our life? It's gone, baby. That's what happened. But uh, I was there, and I was just like, I was in disbelief, and she's instant tears. And it's not, I'm sure there was, part of it was tears of joy, but it was tears of just terror. Like, what has happened? This changes everything. And she cried through the entire ultrasound. We went and met the new doctor. We cried through that entire appointment. We got done with the appointment. We were walking the halls, and people were like, oh, it's the Baileys from church. We cried the entire time. Uh, and then we went and got blood work. She cried the entire time. She got blood work, and for the next three weeks, it was like everything was about to be different. And you guys have had those moments, I'm sure. But when you look at history, when you look back at the history of the world, right, there are huge moments that happen throughout that have changed the way that we interact and the way that we live. So just in my lifetime, all right, so things that I can remember, 9-11 changed a lot of things. It changed, you know, the way that air travel, it changed security measures, it it changed our relationship with terrorist groups and radical groups to where we can still have things happening today that's connected to 9-11. And we know all the uprising that's happening in the Middle East right now is, is all connected there, right? Things change. Or the, the progression of technology and the Internet. I don't know why I said the Internet, but uh, maybe it's showing my age. But... The Internet and technology has advanced so rapidly that it changes the way that you receive news. It changes the way that you communicate. It changes the way that you can connect with people all over the world. And it changes what you believe. Like, it changes a lot of things. It changes the way that you see yourself. Like, it has changed everything. And especially if you're into buying stuff, right, it's really easy to buy stuff when you're sitting home late at night in your pajamas. You're like, you know what? I need a nicer shirt. So you buy one, but it changes everything. Or even recently, which we've all experienced this, which is COVID, which we know things have changed and they're going to continue to change. And we're going to see the effects of that for years to come. And when you look at influential moments, you also have to look at influential people. And if you look back, regardless of what historian you're listening to or who you're uh, trying to find your truth in, Right, you cannot overlook the impact that Jesus has had on this world. Now, whether you believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus, right, there's historical facts that there was a man named Jesus that walked on this earth and that accomplished and fulfilled a lot of things that we read in Scripture. Now, when you look at our calendars, 
Right? We distinguish time, record time, and recall history according to the life of Christ. Right? There's B.C. and there's A.D., which this is what it tells me. At some point in time, people looked, hey, how are we going to record history? How are we going to record time? And they decided to base it upon the most important moment that they can remember, which was the work of Jesus. So now, no matter what year it is, right, it is distinguished and established because of how pivotal the moment of Jesus was. Now, you look at the work of Jesus. He did some pretty things that, that shook up culture. Uh, his relationship with women. Now, women weren't celebrated and, and looked as equal as you kind of see in America today. And it wasn't quite like you see in the Middle East happening right now. But it was somewhere in between. Right? Women didn't have an equal voice. But when Jesus came and started walking on earth, he noticed women. He gave, he empowered women. He gave them significant tasks, which was unheard of. And so he, what he was doing, he was bringing equality in that way. Jesus, he also addressed racism in a way that hadn't been done before. Because historically, there was the Jewish people, and then there was Gentiles. And what that means was, hey, these are God's people. Everybody else is not God's people. And a lot of it was rooted in racism because it wasn't just God's people and not God's people. It was Jew and Gentile. And he, he abolished that. He said, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or master. There's no Greek or Roman or anything else. He's saying, you guys are one. And obviously, that should have ended racism, but we know that's not the truth. But the work of Jesus changed things. And then you look at Christians, right? The church form. Christians are starting to enter uh, and follow this relationship with Jesus. And then they start to shape and change the world. And as history progressed, right, Christians are the ones that, sh that founded hospitals. They're the, they're the ones that established some schools and started secondary education and helped with the advancement of, of science and medicine and arts and all these different things. And you look at this, right, in the work of Jesus, the very thing that changed the world is the very thing that can change you. Right? Because Jesus is the same today as he has always been. And just with a show of hands, just as we start, how many of you are sitting in this room, you know, I want God to change something in my life. If you want God, to, whether it's little, whether it's small, do you want God to change something in you? Show of hands. Yeah, I see, obviously, the majority of hands are raised. And if you're sitting in the room, you probably came because, you know what, I feel like God can change something in me. I want something to change in my life. And we introduce, you know, this idea when we talk about this series, we're going to look at it through the perspective of James. And we learn that James was Jesus's brother, which tells us a few things. James obviously knew Jesus well. He saw the miracles that Jesus was able to accomplish. He heard the words that Jesus spoke and who he claimed to be. He saw the power and influence he had as he walked the earth. But that was not enough for James to believe in God. Or excuse me, he believed in God because he was Jewish. It was not enough for him to believe in Jesus. 
that Jesus was actually the son of God. Because in Scripture, we know that many of Jesus' brothers, they, they didn't believe him, they discouraged him, they mocked him, and most of them disowned him. And James obviously knew Jesus better than most. He was his brother. But that wasn't enough for him to actually believe in what Jesus was doing or what he was saying. It wasn't until Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected that James came to believe that Jesus was who he says he was. Because Jesus came and visited James, and that's the one thing that changed. Like, that's the one thing that, that is the variable that changed between James believing in God from not believing in God. And this is what James, this is how he introduces his letter. In James 1.1, it says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James didn't introduce himself as a brother. He introduced himself as a slave. Now, if you were one of those siblings that got smacked in the head, none of us will ever say, you know what? I'm a slave to my brother. But this tells you the radical change that happened in James' life because of the resurrection power. He said, you know what? I'm a slave to God. And when we look at James, we can see that power, that change, that can also be the very thing that can change you. And just because Jesus will change you, he may not change what is around you. Right? Have you guys ever been here like, man, I'm making all these strides for Jesus, but the rest of the world is just dragging you down? Yeah, I find joy when I come into this room, but tomorrow when I go to class, it's gone. And there's a reason that the very first words that, that James shares is about trials and troubles. Because when we live in a world, there's going to be troubles that come. And this is what James says. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, trouble will come your way. Regardless of your faith, regardless of what you believe, troubles will come. To believers and non-believers, sickness will be there. Death will be there. Heartbreak, pain, sadness, all of these things will come to you regardless if you believe in God or not. But when you have a relationship with Jesus, right, your faith gives you perspective. It helps you see things a little differently. Now, James is saying, hey, when troubles come, he's not saying if troubles come. He's saying when troubles come, consider it great joy. Well, that seems to be a defeating phrase because I don't want to find joy in my troubles. But here's why we can find joy. Because God is doing something bigger than you. Why God is bigger than you, his plans are bigger than you, his wisdom is greater than you. And when we have faith, right, it gives us this perspective and allows our eyes to see God's plans greater than we see our own plans. But in the same breath, God is sitting here saying, hey, I understand that I'm bigger than you, but you 
people are bigger than your problems. Because say you can take whatever trial, whatever troubles in front of you, and you can grow. You can do something different, right? It can create maturity in you. Because God, growth is part of God's plan. Because when you stop growing, you start dying. That's just that's just common sense, right? When you stop growing, you start dying. And I don't know what troubles or trials you are in. I know you got them because we all have them. But I do know that those things can change. I do know that you can come through them. And I know that you can find growth and joy because of what God has. Now, God is bigger than you. You are bigger than your problems. And everything can change. And changing everything, as we've said over and over again, it means everything. And this, for me, is the hardest part of the Christian walk. Right? It, it's, it's hard. It, it's because it's the most uncomfortable. Changing and growing, yeah, I enjoy that. Right? Who doesn't? Overcoming trials, like, I can do that. Because I, I can find some joy in victory. I can find some triumph in that. But changing everything, that gets uncomfortable. Right? That's where I have to get vulnerable. That's where your relationship with God actually starts to get personal. Because you have to take everything that you love, everything that you hate, and bring it to God. And many of us, like, hey, we've been walking this Christian thing, but there's still something that we have holding on to. Something we haven't quite let go of. And we haven't really got as vulnerable as God has asked us to. We haven't really got that personal with God. And we want God to change everything in our lives. We want God to change everything about us. But we are only willing to give him some of our things. Now, American Christianity, we real good at doing this. Like we're going to say, hey, God, I want you to accomplish this, but I'm only going to give you this. And that equation doesn't add up. And here's what James says in, a, in address to that. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. I'm, that's good. I like that. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. And maybe you're like me. Right, you've had a relationship with God. You're doing all the things that you think are right. But you feel like there are times that something just doesn't feel right. Like I'm pursuing God, but things just don't seem to change. Or like this doubt that I have, it's growing. Or this temptation, right, it's more prevalent than ever. The pain and troubles, they're still there. Why, why does nothing seem to change? Well, you have to ask yourself, have you given him everything? Have you trusted him with everything? Because Scripture's saying that if your loyalty is divided, then you shouldn't expect anything from God. Now, he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. 
But he's saying if you have divided loyalty, if you're saying, hey, I want to walk with God, but I want to also be friends with the world, you should expect turmoil. You should expect to be tossed back and forth. And it says it very bluntly in verses 6 and 7. It says when you ask him, make sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. And then it says such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So here we stand like we're Christians. We know God has the ability to do something incredible in us. We've watched what he's done with history. We know that he has the power to change us. And we are here because we want him to change something about us or something in our life. But every time we leave this room, nothing seems to change. Why is that? And it's, it, it, it all boils down to divided loyalty, right? So if you have these two stools, right? I'm not quite nimble, but here we go. So if you have two stools, this is what loyalty is like. A lot of times we stand divided on loyalty. And in relationships, if you have been in a relationship, if any of you dudes had two girlfriends before, right? Hopefully you don't raise your hand and tell us that. It don't work out, all right? Because at some point in time, you are going to have to make a choice. Or ladies, I know you all do this. You got your backups planned, right? You got options A, B, and C, hopefully not the D, and waiting to see how things fall out, right? To see what exactly, who's going to be reciprocating and who you're just going to be like, you know what? They're done. Like we, there comes a point in most decisions in life where you have to decide one thing or another. And it's really hard to be loyal to one thing when you are divided. Where I can say, hey, you know what? I have no faith in God. I'm going to live the way the world lives. And there's not going to be turmoil because you're just going to be walking without God. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to give God everything. Everything is his. I trust him with everything. And I'm going to grow. And I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. But we often find ourselves standing right here. We want our relationship with God. But we're not quite willing to let go of everything in the world. And there are times that standing on both seems convenient. Right? You have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Or sometimes it feels more stable. Like you have, a, you have a better understanding of what you need. Or there are times that, honestly, that it's more comfortable. Because I can be here, get some great benefit, but I can be here and do what I want. And most Christians live right here. The reason most Christians don't grow or don't follow Jesus for the rest of their life because they stand divided. So let's just say you look at your career. You feel God calling you to something that has meaning and purpose. You know, this, this is where I feel him leading me. But you know that if you step over here, uh, I can make a lot more money. I can buy a lot more things. Or maybe it's your belief system, your values. You know what? I, I know what Scripture says. I know how God is challenging me. 
But if I look at my friends, I listen to professors, when I listen to bosses, when I read social media and whatever I see, man, there's all these movements that are happening. And maybe, maybe the Bible's not quite right. And I've done this so many times in my life, right, where, where you feel this tension between these two different things. And now, God, I'm going to give you everything, right? I'm going to walk in a relationship with you. But there's still some over here I want to hold on to. Right? I can, I can stay here. And the problem is there are going to be times where these two stools move in different directions. Because how often does the world and Jesus walk in the same direction at the same time? It's rare. But there are moments they do align. And the moment these stools start separating, right, you go like this, you're going to have to make a choice eventually. Me, it's pretty close because I'm not flexible. All right, so I'm getting pretty close to having to make my decision. Uh, but you get into this point in your life where, okay, am I going to stand with the world or am I going to stand with God? And that is a challenge because when the pressure gets turned up and you are already divided, you tend to make a decision you probably don't want to make because you're going to make the easy decision. You're going to make the comfortable decision. You're going to make the convenient decision. And it may look like a lot of times you can stand loyal to God and still have a foot in something else. You can look like, you know what, I'm standing here. I'm loyal. I got this thing figured out. But you know there's something you haven't let go of. You know, like, I'm not quite feeling God the way that I once did. When I come to worship, it's just a song. Right? I, don't, I don't feel him anymore. Or you know what? I don't really feel like going to church this week, so I'm not. And what happens is as you are divided, eventually you're going to have to make a decision. And I remember the moment I accepted Jesus, right? One of the greatest moments of my life. A moment that I believe is the greatest decision you can ever make. Having a relationship with God, there's nothing that compares to that. But there's a moment in my past that I remember just as vividly as the moment I accepted God. Because when I discovered God in high school, I had no relationship with the church. I didn't know if Jesus and God were the same thing. And so when I came into a relationship with him, there are things in my life that radically had to change. And I looked very, very different from the person before Jesus to the person after Jesus. But there were some things I wasn't quite ready to let go of. I had given God most of me, and he had radically changed most of me. And the baptism and the growth, there was stuff there, but I was still holding on to some stuff. And I remember that, that continued for months. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was running to God. I got baptized, but all of a sudden, I was just stepping back. I wasn't walking with him. I was walking away from him. And it's because I wasn't ready to let go of just one thing. 
And I remember it's at the end of the cul-de-sac, East Sunnybrook, off Cherry Lane. I take you right back to the house, right back to the moment. Well, I had a bunch of friends there, and I felt like, you know, this girl that I liked for so many years, I'd, I, had, I had a moment where I was like, hey, maybe this could work. And at some point through the night, I'm sitting in the living room, and my friend Taylor looked at me. And said, Josh, man, that Jesus stuff has changed you in every way except this. And that's a moment of conviction that hit me. This I still carry with me. Because that was the very reason I was walking away from God. I, w- I gave him almost everything I had except this one thing. And I was holding on to it. And I wanted him to change everything, but I really didn't mean everything. And it wasn't until that moment that I learned why my divided loyalty was exposed. And I had to let go of that. I had to give it to Jesus. And that's truly when growth started happening. That's where maturity started to happen in my life. And that's where, just months later, I felt God's calling to be in ministry and why I stand where I do today. And in order for God to change everything in your life, you have to trust him with everything. You know, earlier I asked all of you a question. Do you want God to change something in you? And most of you said yes. Now God can do a lot of things when you give him a little. But I'm telling you, God can change everything when you give him everything. So you might know whatever that is. You might know what you are holding on to, what you aren't quite ready to let go of. Perhaps tonight's the night you come up here and you just give it to Jesus and let his power change you. Pray with me. Father, you are so good. I know it's time to do work with you. I know it's time for you to have everything of ours. And Jesus, I apologize. I know everything in my life doesn't belong to you all of the time. But God, you've called us. You want us. And Father, you know us more than anybody else. I'm sure each of us have something that's either heavy on our heart, God, that's been replaying in our mind over and over and over. Father, help us bring that to you. Help us feel your hand. We trust you with everything. It's your name that we pray. Amen.